Well, if you have your Bibles, we are in the book of Acts. We are in uh, Acts chapter 3. And as you're turning there, I'm, I'm not going to spend long on this, but there's just a brief moment. I hope that um, already in Acts, and, and we'll see this today, the, the desire that uh, the apostles, that the, the early church, these early believers have to share the gospel. Like they just want to talk about Jesus because Jesus has transformed them. He saved them from their sin. And all they want to do is talk about him. And, and from the time I started getting ready for this series, and then obviously each week as I'm preparing for the sermon, this is, I'm just praying that God would give me a desire to speak about him wherever I can. And especially um, as I'm meeting new people, I don't know, it seems like I'm just meeting so many new people right now, just out and about in life and with with my kids and doing sports teams with my kids and all that. I'm meeting people and I'm just asking the Lord, will you give me a chance? Like we, at some point, will you help me to tell this guy about you? Um, so I, I think obviously that's a, that's a prayer that, that Jesus loves for us to pray. So chapter three, we're jumping right in. We come in and, and Peter and John, they're heading up to the temple, it says, uh, for the hour of prayer. And it's interesting, like obviously these are, they're Christ followers now, right? But this is all so new that there's not even a name for who they are yet, right? They won't be called Christians until uh, Acts chapter 11. But at this point, this brand new religious group without a name, and, and they don't have a place. Um, so what John and Peter do is they head to the temple to pray to God. And obviously, they're ready to share. They're ready to talk about Christ. It says that it was the ninth hour, so that's three o'clock. This is the second uh, of two prayer times in the day. So there would have been tons of people there. It would have felt like everyone was coming in to pray. And Luke tells us that at this time, there's a man being carried there. Uh, maybe it's by friends. Maybe it's by family, but he's been crippled his whole life. And they set him at the gate. He's lame his whole life. He's never taken a step. Luke in chapter 4 will tell us that he's more than 40 years old. In his adult life, every day, uh, these people, friends, family, I don't know, they, they carry him to the gate and he begs. And this gate is called the beautiful gate. And if historians are correct um, about which gate this was, there's great reason for it to be called beautiful. The gate was covered in Corinthian bronze. Uh, there's a historian that said this, this gate exceeded all the other gates, covered even gold or silver. It stood 75 feet high. It had these two giant doors. And then here's this crippled man that was set there to beg. Right? What a contrast. And every day he's there to beg. Now, fortunately for him, uh, the Jews believed that generosity to the poor was a part of following God. So it, he's, he's begging and, and it's working. People are supporting him. And in the throngs of people, here come Peter and John walking by as he's asking for alms. My guess is he, he probably just said the same line over and over again, a line that he said maybe thousands of times by this point in his life, right? Maybe something like alms for the poor. And Peter, we know Peter from the Gospels, he can be kind of intense. And I picture this as, as being sort of intense Peter here in verse 4. He says, look at us. And most people, or at least I know my tendency when I see maybe uh, coming off an op 
off-ramp, um, the freeway, someone um, asking for money, in my gut, I want to I avoid eye contact with them. I, I don't want to look at them. I don't know if you're that way, but I think most of us are. I knew a guy several years ago that uh, led a homeless ministry in Portland, and one day he was, he was talking with me. He was just helping me think about what it must be like to be a homeless person and have almost everyone Try to intentionally avoid looking at you. You don't have to be a psychologist to, to realize, like, yo, man, that, that would change you. That would impact you. So no matter how awkward I feel now, like I try, I try to look them in the eyes. I try to smile just this tiny, tiny way to demonstrate the love of God. But I suspect that this lame man was used to people just looking right past him, right over him, right through him even. And when Peter says, look at us, this caught his attention. He looks right at them. And I'm sure he was expecting, man, if he's saying, look at us, he must be about to give me something really good. And so we're about to read this miracle here. This is the first of, I believe it's 14 miracles in Acts. And this miracle is amazing, but let's not miss that Jesus does this miracle through Peter in this man to set up the proclamation of the gospel, right? So that this crowd that will gather around can hear about Jesus, can hear about their sin, about their wickedness, can hear that they can repent and be forgiven of all their sins. So this miracle is great, it's exciting, but it's, the point of it is to get us to look to Jesus. So verse six, Peter says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Right? This guy wanted money. And that was a very real need. Right? He needed money to, to buy food, to buy clothes. Right? This is something he, he did need. But Peter and John, they don't have money for him. But they knew that, that what they had, he needed more than money. They had Jesus. And I wonder if you've had moments like me where you meet someone and they don't know Jesus, and their needs, they feel overwhelming to you, right? I mean, you look at their problems, maybe it's an addiction, maybe their marriage is falling apart, or, or, or maybe their, their kid has rejected them, or, or massive financial needs, or whatever the need is, just, uh, it, it's overwhelming. You put yourself in their shoes, and you can understand that that could just as easily have been you, right? If, if a circumstance or two would have been different, or if you would have made a couple different choices, you see their pain, you, you feel it, you, you see what they're facing, and we can be tempted to think, I don't have anything. I don't, I don't have what they need. And maybe though in that moment, you, you, you know, no, no, they, they need Jesus. I know that Jesus is the answer, but you're not totally sure how. You're not totally sure how to put it. Even when we feel like we have nothing, we have Jesus. He is the one at work by the power of the Spirit who intimately knows everything, right, about this person that you, you're perplexed by their situation. We cannot forget that if, if you have Jesus, you have his love. Right, Acts has been very clear. We have the Holy Spirit. You know the gospel. If that's true, you have everything that you need. Will you ask Jesus for the faith to speak about him? 
I just ask him and see how he will come through. Because Jesus does have the power to do anything, including, and most importantly, reconcile us with God by forgiving sins. Right? Nothing's more important than that. Right? Nothing at all. We can have problems in life that, that are real. Right? And then this life feels so big, but we cannot forget as believers that the biggest problem in life is a broken relationship with God because of sin. So it, it would be like this. Let's say you're driving along the road and there's a person that's off on the side of the road. Clearly they're having car problems. Um, you pull over, you ask what's going on. They tell you that they're pretty sure that their ignition uh, is broken, right? It's, it's not working, right? They put the key in and it's, it's doing nothing at all, right? The car won't start. And I'm not mechanical, so if you're a mechanic and you're like, there's another way to do it, don't ruin my analogy. All right, so you, you notice, yeah, okay, there's this thing going on with the ignition, but, but man, there's smoke coming out of the hood. You open the hood. Engine shot, right? It, it is dead. Yes, there is a starter issue. They weren't wrong about that. But the real issue is there's no oil. And they, they burnt that engine to a crisp. So you could fix the starter, but a good starter with a dead engine is useless, right? You can offer to fix the starter. That'd be very kind of you. But they need, they need this new engine for this car to run. Even when it seems like we have so little to give or maybe nothing, nothing physically to give them to help in their problems, we have Jesus, the one who gives life. So back in verse 6, Peter, he, he says to him, rise up and walk. And the guy had never done that before. He doesn't just stand up on his own. And in a very Peter-like way, he, he reaches, he grabs him by the hand and raises him up. One commentator said it was Peter's hand that reached the man, but it was the power of Jesus that was at work. And, and Peter will, will be very clear about that in just a few verses, that it wasn't his power. It was Jesus' power that would heal this man. Verse 7, he took him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who'd sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Right? This is incredible. Right? This faith that Peter has is wild to me. Like, how does he know that God will do this? And I read this, I'm like, man, I want faith like that. Or maybe you, you read this and you wonder, how can I grow my faith like that? Right? It doesn't have to be as dramatic as that, but I want faith like that. How do I get from this puny faith that I have to this, this Peter-like faith? If that's your question as you read this passage, hold on to that because we'll see in a bit. It's going to be a little while, but we'll see what the passage says. But anyway, Peter grabs him by the hand, raises him up. He's immediately healed, right? The, the wording here, it's like his ankles are like popping into place instantly. He's as strong as he should be. The man leaps up. He begins to walk, right? Never walked before. So I'm sure like his brain's like processing. How does this work? As he takes these first few steps, it's probably this mix of like excitement and timidity, but then he gains confidence and it's sinking in, right? He's healed. He, this man can walk, I'm sure he had stopped dreaming of being able to walk decades ago. Who knows how many times he'd woken up from his sleep as a kid, 
like dreaming that he was running and playing with the other kids. I wonder if, if throughout his life people had offered to come and, and pray over him and anoint him with oil, pleading with God to heal his crippled body. The hopes of walking had no, no doubt been dead with the other dreams that he had grown up for years. Because for decades he'd been this professional beggar, but now he could walk, he could run, he could jump. And it sounds like he praised God like he had, I'm sure, never before. He just erupted in this praise of God. It causes quite a scene. I know all of us celebrate things differently. We all have different personalities. Uh, even culturally, we, we come from different places. We express ourselves in different ways. So I, I recognize that not everyone celebrates the same. But with that in mind, I hope that we all celebrate Christ. Right? I hope that there are times where, where we erupt over the truth of who God is and what he has done, that, that we know the creator. Right? If you cheer at a game, I hope there are times where you cheer about how great God is, right? whether it's corporately in, in front of your church or, or just privately with the Lord, or, or maybe, maybe cheering at a game isn't your thing, but what about at a wedding? Right? When I, when I uh, announced uh, Brooklyn and Christian, as they walked down the aisle, man, people erupted. People were so excited. So if, if you're at a wedding and you clap or cry, or maybe you're doing both, man, I hope there are times where, where you're so moved by Christ that you'd celebrate him. So anyway, all of this is creating quite a scene, and everyone noticed. Verse 11 says, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, right? Peter's ready. He's ready for an opportunity to talk about Jesus. He says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Peter could sense or, or maybe he heard people talking and asking how they healed this man. And if you've been involved in, in ministry in, in any way, and, and seen some success, something goes well, and you get praise from others, it's easy without even meaning to, to take credit for it. But Peter wasn't having any of that. And he makes it clear that this crippled man wasn't healed by their power or because they were really, really godly. It wasn't faith mustered up by these apostles. Peter's going to point them in, in verse 16 straight to Christ. As we come into uh, the rest of the chapter here, there's, there's a few things that I think Peter's, as he's preaching, he's, he wants us to recognize. He wanted them to recognize, and, and we get to recognize it as well. The first is recognize the opportunity that God has given you to see the Savior. Right? We're going to see the, the opportunities that God's people had and the opportunities that we have too. He wants them to recognize their sin, right? their, their depravity, their wickedness, and he wants them to recognize his blessing. So first, uh, verse 13, he says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, right? In other words, your God, this is your covenant God. This is Yahweh. He's glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. 
So he's, he's, he's saying, man, recognize the opportunities that you've had to see Jesus the Christ. Man, these are God's people. So when he says the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's reminding them, this is your God, that your own people, you have a covenant with this God. You should have known about Jesus. You knew the promises of the servant. Right? In a bit, he's going to talk about the prophets that God had given them every opportunity to recognize that the Christ would come. They had every opportunity to see Jesus, but they denied him. They rejected him. They delivered him over to be killed. What about us? What are the, what are the opportunities that we have had to see, that we continue to have to see Jesus? And just by being in this country, we have so many opportunities to hear about Jesus. I heard this stat, and I can't remember if I recently shared this. I heard a stat that for every Starbucks in America, there are 24 churches in America. Isn't that amazing? Like, it, it, and it, we live in, in a, a less uh, churched area, but even in our area, there, there are plenty of churches. We may be in a post-Christian society, but we are not lacking opportunity to hear about Jesus. Right? And just being able to come to a church week after week and hear about Jesus, that's something that 2 billion people today, 2 billion people today do not have the opportunity to do because there's not a church near them. There isn't even a Christian near them. Right? Those 2 billion people, they don't have a chance at meeting a believer. I was talking with someone the other day about how how weird it is that sometimes you meet someone and, and you think, man, I think they know Jesus. Like just in that, that first time meeting them, there are two billion people. They, they, that's not going to happen, right? Not, not until God's people go into these places that are unreached. Even in the Super Bowl last week, right? Every time there's a championship game, right? There's a great chance that, that some player in the post-game interview is going to talk about God. We have so many opportunities to hear about God, to hear the gospel, and turn to him. Have you turned to Jesus? I remember talking to a student uh, in high school. He's a sophomore. This is like 22, 23 years ago. I asked him when he was going to turn to Jesus. I'd known him for a long, long time, since he was a little kid. He was the only, uh, he was the only person in his house, in his family, that hadn't trusted in Jesus. And he told me just straight up, he wanted to wait. He wasn't ready yet. He just wanted to live his life for a while. And fast forward 20 some years, the last time I spoke with his family, he still isn't. And I do, I respected that, that he didn't want to live a lie, right? He didn't, want to, he didn't want to pretend like he was following Jesus. But man, I look, I think, what a wasted opportunity so far, right? He grew up in a church that loved him. His parents, I'm sure, just prayed for him all the time, still do. Man, we, we had youth staff members that, that loved him. And man, he, he, he rejected Jesus or so far has rejected Jesus. Look at all the opportunities that God has given you to trust in Jesus. We are truly blessed. Let's keep going. Verse 16. And his name, and let's just pause right there. Right? So when it says his name, this means all of who he is and what he has done. Right? So think through what we've already read from Luke's account here. 
Right? You remember how Peter said, hey, I don't have silver and gold, but, but I have Jesus of Nazareth. At one point in Jesus' ministry, that was an insult. Right? They said, what could anything good come out of Nazareth? But now everyone, everyone in town knows of Jesus. Right? They've heard of his mighty works. Right? They, they heard either him teach themselves or they heard that he taught with authority like no one had ever taught before. They heard that he was crucified. Right? They heard the accounts that he had risen from the dead. Maybe they even knew some people that, that said they'd seen the risen Christ. So there's no longer a question if there could be something good come from Nazareth. No, someone incredible came from Nazareth, and his name is Jesus. Peter says he's the servant of Yahweh. We remember when we were back in Isaiah not that long ago, Isaiah prophesied about this servant Right? The, the servant that, that would do what, what Israel, the servant, could not do in glorifying God. And Peter says, God has glorified this servant. And the people, he said, delivered Jesus over to Pilate. They denied him. and he, he calls him the Holy One, the Righteous One. And then in his place, they wanted this murderer, Barabbas, to be released. Right? Pilate would, would release one prisoner. He gave him a choice. You want Barabbas, this this murderer, this known murderer, or do you want me to release Jesus? And they chose Barabbas, which is insane. Right? They knew he was a murderer. Imagine choosing to release a sociopath instead of Jesus. Right? Peter says, you released the murderer and killed instead the author of life. I don't know if there could be deeper irony you want a murder on the streets. A murder, by definition, is one who extinguishes life. And in the murder's place, you killed the author of life, Peter says. But God raised him from the dead. Right? All of that is in Jesus' name. So continuing 16, by faith in his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith, or, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all, right? This is the name, faith in his name, the author of life, the holy and righteous one, the suffering servant, glorified by the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It is faith in his name that has healed this man that they knew, that they recognized. They passed by him for years. Maybe, maybe many of them had given to him personally. I'm sure some knew his story, maybe knew his family. There was no denying that this was the man that for decades would beg at the gate day after day. And now he's walking and praising God. This is the same man. And Peter says that this faith was through Jesus meaning Peter didn't muster up the faith to make this healing happen, right? He didn't just try super hard to really trust Jesus. No, Jesus is the one who gave him the faith, right? Even for the faith that we have, we need Jesus, right? We cannot do it on our own. Verse 17 says, now brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers, Peter isn't letting them off the hook. He's not letting us off the hook. In just a couple of verses, he's going to tell them to repent. Verse 18, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Right? They had opportunity after opportunity to see Jesus. 
Right now he, he, he tells them to recognize their sin. He, he's already pointed out that they've denied Jesus, that they handed Jesus over to be killed. Verse 19, he says, repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Anyone who repents over, over whatever your, your deepest, darkest sin is, when we repent of our sin, when we turn away from sin and turn to Christ, he wipes out all of your sin. So this means that that, that person that I talked about at the beginning, right? That, that, that we see their problems and, and we, we feel like we have little or nothing to give them. No, you have the best thing to give them. You can tell them that Jesus will take care of their sin, all of it. Right? Not a bit remains. And just like Peter's last sermon, the command is to repent. It's a command. It's an invitation with a promise. It's an, it's an invitation to be completely forgiven of your sin, nothing held against you. And we'll get to verse 26 at the end, but there Peter calls sin wickedness. Right? And we probably don't often think of sin as wickedness. I don't, I don't usually classify myself as wicked. Yes, we think of certain sins like in the category probably of wickedness. Remember earlier when Peter told them they denied Jesus, delivered him over to Pilate. That was wicked. Deliberately choosing Barabbas, the murderer, instead of Jesus was wicked. Choosing someone that you know did nothing worthy of death and shouting crucify is wicked. So here we are about 2,000 years later. Obviously, you weren't in the crowd. I wasn't in the crowd, and yet we do the same thing. How many times have I ignored Jesus? I just lived my life as if I, I don't even know that he exists. Or how many times have I known that there's a chance in this conversation to talk about Jesus, but I was glad to just let it fade away. How many times have you and I chosen, yeah, not Barabbas, but, but something else we desire more than Jesus? Maybe it's a career Maybe it's a girlfriend or a boyfriend or, or pleasure or, or the perfect family. But if we're honest, there are dozens, dozens of things. that if, if we could choose that instead of Jesus, we probably would. Maybe it's wealth or, or fame or the perfect body or, or great grades or getting into the right school. All of us have chosen our own Barabbases many times and shouted crucify. And Peter calls them to repent, recognize your sin, see the Savior, Jesus, who will forgive your, your wickedness. Peter tells them to recognize the blessing that comes when you repent. Right? He's already talking about the forgiveness of sin, but the promises continue. Verse 20, he says that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Our future with our God is a time of refreshing. Right? And I don't know what refreshes you here in this life. Like maybe... Maybe it's just a day with, with a cup of tea and a book or, or a day on a lake or maybe a spa day or, or, or going to the beach or maybe just going to the grocery store without your kids for two hours refreshes you. It does me sometimes. But, but whatever, whatever it is, right, whatever we experience here that we call refreshing, at some point it ends and then we have to go and engage in, in normal life again. But this, this is just a taste uh, of whatever Peter's telling us this refreshing will be like, it's just a taste of what God's people will have that will not end because we will not cease from being in God's presence. 
He goes on, he says, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. And, and at first you might wonder, like, what are you saying? That the Christ, Jesus, he's already come. He came, he lived, he died, he rose, he ascended. Like, what's left? Well, it's that he's coming back again for you. He's coming back for his people. We will be with him face to face. There will be a day when, when our faith will be sight. How great will that be? Verse 21, whom heaven, he says, must receive until the time of restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Right? He'll, he'll come back. Things will be restored. He's making all things new. We will live in this new world where everything will be right. No more sickness. No more pain. No, no politics. No taxes. No broken relationships, no temptation, no sin, no, no boredom, no frustration. Like God's going to restore everything. He's going he's to make everything new. It'll be Garden of Eden 2.0. Listen to what, what he, he quotes from Moses in verse 22. It says, Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. So Moses says this, this prophet like me, right? But, but better than me is coming. And it's critical that you listen to him. Why? Because if you don't, you will be destroyed, right? No if, ands, or buts. My, my youngest uh, came to me the other night and a sweet, cute little voice said, daddy, do you want to play a game? I said, sure, what's the game called? And she said, it's called Bomb, right? B-O-M-B, not what I expected out of my seven-year-old. I love her. I was also quite curious what a game named Bomb might be like. So I said, yes, let's play. And, and she set up, she had construction paper, and she, she had four rows of construction paper with, uh, with three across, right? So this, this grid of construction paper, she had this white sheet of paper where she had marked uh, the whole grid out, right? And it had the different colors. And then she had little... Um, little ways that she marked um, each sheet where the bombs were, right? So in, 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 uh, there'd be three in each row, um, and, and two of those would have a bomb, okay? So uh, I'm tracking with her, and what do I do, Maddie? Well, you pick one and step on it, okay? So I, I step, and if she doesn't do anything but kind of give me this look, I know I'm alive. <laughs> and I go to the next one, right? So I step. And that one was a bomb. And she makes this like explosion sound. She's very sweet. She looks very sweet. There's this little tiny dark streak in her. Uh, it doesn't make me nervous, but I'm paying attention. Anyway, so if you blow up, then you start over. And, and the goal is to get through the whole thing. Uh, and it was, it was a creative game. Like, I don't know if she saw it on YouTube. I don't know how she came up with it. Um, but, but it was fun. And we played many, many, many rounds. And in her little game, certainly, I mean, it's just, it's just four rows. So there's a chance that I could have made it through uh, in, in, without blowing up at all. Um, but I didn't. I, never, I never, never did it. Every time I had to start over and, and see how far I could get. Um, but what if this were real, right? But what if, what if there were bombs and I really had to get through? And, and, and my daughter, instead of telling me I blew up, she says, Dad, I know the way. Like, I, will, I will show you how to get through this. Well, certainly I would listen to her. 
right? This, this would be loving of her. This would be gracious of her to tell me everything that I need to know to get through this life, right? And there are paths in life. There are ways of thinking. There are worldviews that, that they all lead to destruction, right? Jesus is the only one. Moses said, God is sending another prophet, right? God sent Jesus to tell us how to live, how to, how to have life, how to not be destroyed. There's no guessing the right way. Following Jesus is the only way, and he doesn't make you follow him, right? He gives you the choice. He gives you the invitation. Will you follow me? Will, will you be in this, this, this loving relationship? Will I, I will protect you. I will save you. Verse 24 it says, and all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made uh, with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness, right? Peter's speaking to a Jewish crowd who way back in Genesis, God had promised to Abraham that through his offspring, all the families of the earth would be blessed. They, they were blessed in order to be a blessing. These were God's chosen people and, and that through them, the nations would be blessed. And God was making good on that prophet, uh, promise, just as all the prophets had spoken about sending the Christ. He sent his servant, Peter tells us, to them first, saying, turn away from sin, turn away from wickedness, repent and be saved. And it's hard for me to appreciate that the Israelites had been waiting for generations, waiting for this promise. We enter history 2,000 years later, after it's fulfilled, but they had been waiting and waiting and looking and wondering. And Peter, he, he tells them it's happened. He came, you killed him, but the good news is he rose from the dead. You can turn to him and be blessed. Even though you rejected him, you can turn. He's been sent to you, the Jews first. And, and sending to the Jews first means that after that, the, the rest of the world, that's you and me. Right? Jesus is calling you through these words of Peter, recorded by Luke, to turn from sin, to turn from our wickedness and turn to Jesus. He wants to bless you. And, and for all who turn to him, he's going to use them to bless the world by telling them about Jesus. We live knowing that Jesus has come. Like Moses, he reveals God to us. He came to show us the way through life so that we don't have to be destroyed. He didn't just come and tell us what is good and then leave us to figure it out on our own, to navigate life on our own. He's come, he's walking with us, he's working in us lovingly, taking us by the hand of that minefield, graciously taking us, turning us from evil, leading us in truth and making us his own. Praise God. Let's pray. Jesus, you, well, there's no one like you, Lord. There's no one holy like you. No one righteous like you. No one mighty like you. Jesus, we need you, each and every one of us. Lord, if, if there's anyone here uh, or online listening that 
and been going to church for a long time. And they've been kind of playing, playing the part in church, but they haven't, they haven't trusted you. They haven't repented. Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they repent. God, and I pray for, for those who have repented. God, I pray that, that we would see what you've given us. Like, like Scott read, uh, the treasure that we have in these, these jars of clay. Yeah, we're nothing. We're broken pottery. But man, we have Jesus we need you to increase our faith. We recognize our hope. We recognize that we can't muster up faith like what we saw in Peter. Lord, that was you giving faith. Lord, would we be a people that are constantly looking for you, constantly asking us to help, that you'd help us talk about you, that you'd help us tell others about you, Jesus. And we know that some will respond that some will be, their eternity will be changed forever. God, will we be a people that love you, Lord, and follow hard after you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.